Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of a sentence a day, Life Writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. All right. Hey, here we are, everybody. Welcome to the show. You might be wondering where the applause is. I don't have it set up. That's where it is. So, it's not here. But, uh, but I will. I will. So we have a new home. We're, we are now hosted by Realm Media. Yes, we are. So that's exciting. I like that. Uh, a little bit more professional. Right. We are with the big boys. You might be noticing some ads or some promos. Hope you'll bear with those. Yeah, just the business. We're just going to be the same guys that you've always known, but we're just trying something a little bit different. The same podcast. And this week we are excited is not even the word. I've just been in a constant state of excitement since the release of Jordan Peele's Nope. And we're going to be doing a deep dive with spoilers into Nope. But first, as we always do, let's check in with each other. What kind of week have we had, Steve? I think it was a great week. I think it was a great week, too. I was experimenting going back to the done by one idea where you identify the most important things you have to do that day and you do those things first so that plausibly if your life got totally interrupted by you know at, by noon or one or two you could walk away and you'd still feel like you got the most important things done so using the 25-5 Pomodoro technique where you work without any interruptions for 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break i have found that that seems to be working pretty well because if i can do two what i call pomodoros two 25 fives i can make sure to get the basic work done on my writing and the basic work done for our business i have to say i love this system it has really increased my productivity not just when i'm consciously doing the time to 25 minute sessions but also it has helped me sort of reframe what I even feel like I can get accomplished in 25 minutes, whether or not I'm timing myself. So if I find myself, oh, I have a 30-minute gap between now and my next Zoom, there's a whole world of possibilities of what I can do within that 30 minutes, whether or not I'm timing myself, which is a different mind frame that previously I might have just, you know, diddled around on social media or, you know, or on Twitter. But now I have a very concrete idea. Oh, I can get a lot of writing done in 25 minutes. I can get a podcast edited in 25 minutes. I can, you know, I'm taking a UCLA course for faculty on online courses. I can do an assignment in, in that 25 minutes. I got a ton of work done this week and I'm really happy about it. Well, I think that I've been pushing a little bit because I can feel that there are more projects lining up right now than we've ever had. And when you step into that world, what is likely to happen is you're going to be even busier than you expect. The stuff is going to come in. So the question really has been, one of how do we do all of this? Because I, I did a calculation, and between the television series things and the, the dramatic podcast things and the movie possibilities, with just a tiny bit of luck, we could have as many as 500 pages of work do. If we calculate that on the basis of, let's say, 25 pages a week, five pages a day, five days a week, that is 100 pages a month. So that says, oh, okay, it's four months, you know, five months rather. We have five months of work. So we can't bring in any other work unless it's work that's even more interesting than the work we've already got, more remunerative, 
you know, move our careers for more or something that's be more fun. In which case, we know that if there is, you know, if there's 100 pages of that work, that's going to push everything back another month. And so it's actually possible to see that. But the first thing is, how do we make sure that we're getting the work done every day? So, uh, you know, you and I work a little bit differently. I like to do, to gush out the rough draft and then go back and polish yesterday's rough draft, you know, slowly, sometime with my feet up on the couch. You work a little differently. How do you do that, sweetie? I tend to buff and buff and buff my work in progress, you know, so I write a paragraph or two, go back, <laughs> you know, buff, 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 and and kind of do it, feel my way through it that way. So my output is sometimes less because I'm editing as I write. So we have an agreement about that. You know how many pages you can expect me to write. I know how many pages you're going to write. And I, you know, I have to take my hat off to you. I think it is impressive that you actually care if we have the time to do the work we're signing up for. <laughs> it's like, because I'm kind of this happy-go-lucky, like, yeah, whatever, let's go. I've got this. We've got this. I do have sometimes too much confidence in my abilities. And then like, a couple months ago when I got COVID or there's something else going on, there can be a slowdown. And I think it's great that you try to keep from getting anxious because being anxious takes all the fun out of it. This is a great period. Like the past two Fridays have brought us progress on some very important projects we're working on. Meetings that are going to the next step in, in a couple cases this past Friday. Just are there, are there three or four different television series that we're kind of seriously engaged with? Three, three that I can think of. Three okay. that I can think of. Right. All of them are at the pitching stage. We don't currently have anything that has gone beyond the pitching stage on the TV front, but I'll take it. You know, yeah. we're working with three sets of producers and and executives and And uh, then there's the dramatic podcast which is based on a graphic novel and we're basically we have the proposal ready to submit to the company that they're anticipating will buy it that they've they've already had success there they said they'd be crazy not to buy it and plus there's an executive there we've worked with in the past so fingers crossed i say game on let's get it get in the ring absolutely <laughs> and then there is there are movies, two movies specifically that we pitched to a major company that wanted to take a look at their catalog and update something for for modern audiences, and we pitched two, and they want both of them. You know, they they want to at least develop them, so they're putting us in contact with an executive who's very experienced, the producer. Yeah. And, yes. and so there's that. Plus, there's another movie that, that we might have a chance to do some rewrite on. Right. Um, that would be fun. That would be fun. I, that's actually a dream is to just sort of take somebody else's work. It's so much easier to to try to find improvements in someone else's work than, than, than doing it from scratch yourself. So that yeah, would be something fun. I think it will be easy money. You know, but I don't know about easy, but it'll be fun money. Well, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to take a look at it. You know, once we see the script. It'll be, and we know exactly what they want to accomplish. Then we can take a look and make some judgments about what it's going to take. And I anticipate that it takes, it'll take a day to read the script or two days to read the script and then a day to talk about it, talk through the, the, the plan, maybe a day to let it gel, a day to talk through, and then put together the plan. So that's the first week. And the next week would be actually get, jumping in and doing the work. But then we have to distribute that with the other work that we're doing. For instance, you know, so maybe it's rough draft in the morning and then work on a rewrite at night or doing it every other day or something like that. But I, I, I do like to have an idea when I wake up in the morning, what is it that I need to get done today? That's valuable to me. That's so cute. <laughs> anyway, I don't think it's a coincidence. I might've mentioned this last time. I don't think it's a coincidence that we heard from this studio interested in these two film projects within a week after the release of Jordan Peele's Nope. This is my transition, by the way, in case you didn't catch on. Yeah, because no, very, nope, very good, very good. Bravo. Nope has done so well. It's on track to earn $100 million as of this recording. And that is, you know, a hit by almost any standard, even though this was a lot more expensive a film than either Get Out or Us, certainly much more expensive, but it's still doing well. It's doing well when a lot of people still aren't going back into the movie theaters, by the way. Yeah. But it's it's horror with black leads. 
even though it's a very mixed cast. Hopefully you've seen it, by the way, because we're going to be spoiling yeah. the hell out don't, of it don't today. Watch, don't, don't watch this until you've seen it. Go out and see it and then come back and watch. And come watch back it. and listen when, you, when you've That's seen the movie. But but it's black lead and it's horror. It has science fiction elements, obviously, but to me it's horror. And our projects are also black lead horror so i don't think it's a coincidence that they're looking at this going hey wait a second we're still in business here which is great because you all have no idea how important or maybe some of you do it is so important to have a figure like jordan peele working within the same space to keep executives and hollywood excited about genre with marginalized leads it takes so little to close those doors and so much to open those doors yep and you have to be- better believe that there are people in hollywood who are just waiting for him to stumble mm-hmm. they're waiting for it we'll, we'll talk about that as as we get into it but i i would look at jordan peele as being as important a voice as stephen king or quentin tarantino that his third movie being a hit kind of cements him in that space. I, I'm sure he's feeling additional pressure, but I think that he is the real deal in terms of being a creative force. So hopefully he he will be able to, to balance the different elements of his life so that he can continue making movies that have personal import to him, you know, because the people are going to be throwing him truckloads of money yes. to do things that are outside his lane. And I, I I hope that he will never take a project that he wouldn't do for free. You have been saying basically from the beginning that you were going to look for that third film before yes. you felt that he had cemented his place. Whereas I yeah. was like, get out. I was like already, it had me at hello. <laughs> I'm like. There, there are too many one hit wonders. I know, but it's, it's just, I, I'm, it's very exciting for me to watch the fruition of a career that started out so huge and it is tough it's tough to follow up a big hit like a get out you i saw it when i was working with the alex haley estate he struggled and struggled to 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 try to match a project like roots throughout his lifetime and really never could you know and scott joplin i wrote about him his second composition maple leaf rag as a young man was his most popular song ever. So those follow-ups can be very, very tough. Our, he- our friend who was on the podcast just a couple weeks ago, David Gerald, mm. the very first thing he ever did for television was the trouble with tribbles, which became one of the most famous television episodes in the history of the field. How do you cope with that? It's, yeah. it's different. my first novel dream park was the most popular book I had done for many, many years. And it was definitely that, God, how do I live up to that? Right. So knowing that about artists that I've admired in the past, and I think of Jordan Peele as a young man because he's so much younger than I am, really had me rooting for him, that his head wouldn't get turned, that he would not lose his way on the path, that he would not succumb to schedules expectations or any of that to clear those voices out of your head and to create art that is both commercial and artistic needing or calling for deeper exploration and personal and personal okay yes you know the personal realm to me art is expression of of yourself your being your deeper self but commercial art has to find an audience Yes. Commercial art has to create an emotional change that is desired by the chosen audience. And so the the pure artist doesn't care about how other people think about them. The purely commercial artist cares about nothing except that paycheck. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we we saw Nope for a second time. And I will say that there's, it's really hard to recreate the first time, right? So even though I could barely sleep that night, the night I saw it the second time, it was more of an unconscious reaction. Whereas the first time I saw it, I was like consciously giddy, jumping up and down. Oh my God, so many ideas swirling in my head. So let's chop it up, you know, as the kids say, let's let's talk about nope. Let's talk about what nope means, all the spoilers, all of our theories, what we think about it. And I'm going to start with the very first frame of the movie, which is a biblical passage, which I find fascinating because something that that most of you don't know is that when we played excerpts from that Jordan Peele interview we did in 2018, a couple of episodes ago, 
one of the excerpts we did not play had to do with the fact that the original script for Get Out, the PDF that's floating around on the internet, not the one he published, but sort of the unofficial script for Get Out started with a biblical passage. And we asked him if that was just something that was meant for him or if he had meant it to go on the screen. And he said, actually, originally he had intended it to go on the screen. But then after he wrote the film, he realized, ah, we don't really need it. And he also pointed out a lot of like allusions to Christianity that had gone completely over our heads. And I won't go into all of them because we're not talking about Get Out today. But Chris, the name Chris was inspired by the name Christ. So it's that deep. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. So if you're surprised that note begins with a biblical passage, you should not be. And the the passage is from the book of Nahum. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. So he's returning to the biblical passage, number one. But number two, he's stating one of his themes explicitly from the very first frame of the movie, and that is spectacle. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, honey? Well, I think that there are three different levels that we can look at this on, and it's wonderful to have a movie that, that bears up under such investigation. One is just the story. You know, just what's the story? Okay. The yes. other is... Okay, what's the deeper meaning? And there is, I think a lot of people have tripped to things that he's saying in a general artistic way about Hollywood and, and the artistic life. But I think that it's possible to go deeper and look at all three of his movies as his personal expression of his journey. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, break that down. I think that, that we can, you know, that, that Get Out, for instance, seemed to me uh, him asking who can he trust in the world. And, you know, even the people who seem to be your allies or you're sleeping with can end up trying to use you for, for your, your, your qualities. If that is true, then the solution there was who you can trust is your tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, Rod, ride or die. That's right. right. Rod, ride or die. But us was interesting in that. It seemed to me to be a, not about race, because Get Out is very much about race. You know, who can he trust as a black man? Us was more about class than race. And it seemed to me that he was springboarding off of the conclusion in Get Out, which is you can trust your tribe, by asking what happens when you leave your tribe behind. Mm. That us seems to me to be about the fear that middle class black people and, and, and people from other groups have as they begin to succeed more and more and the people who were with them in childhood, their old neighborhoods, can't bring them with them. I right. think this is one of the reasons why so many rappers, you know, have entourages. You know, they bring their boys with them. They, yes. they have it's a little bit like human beings who used to animals that used to live in the ocean having their, their babies in the ocean, once they came on land, they had eggs that that had fluid inside them to protect the embryo. So you are creating some space where you're still hanging around with your boys, playing video games, go-karts, they're traveling with you. So you've got somebody who's know, who's known you ever since. But that fear of what happens if you leave them behind, I think, drove us. On the other hand, Nope, I think... Talk about it. ...is about his fear of what happens once you make it in Hollywood, specifically about Hollywood. And there are some very specific images that we'll we'll talk about as we go. So back to back to your, you know, if we're gonna go through it. Yeah, let's go through it. Like I want a sequence at a time. Then yes. I guess let's jump around between those different levels and, and talk. But but yes, and I love your your framing of that because I do think the key to Jordan Peele's success is the personal. And as all of us as artists should use that as our as our North Star, as he put it in the interview. He said reality was his North Star, but also I think the personal can be the North Star. Let's talk about it from the very beginning. Keith David, hello. Oh my gosh, I was so happy. Thank you, Jordan Peele, for casting Keith David, even briefly, <laughs> in Nope, because I I almost got goosebumps looking at his noble profile, sitting on horseback against the vast plain, bringing back memories of all those old Westerns I used to watch with my father. There's also a poster from Buck and the Preacher starting, starring Sidney Poitier. And you almost think if Sidney Poitier had lived or had been able, he would have had that part, 
right? Keith That's David's really good. part. But, but but wait a minute. Was that the first scene in the movie or was it that first scene in Gordy's home? Oh, my gosh. You How can I forget? That. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with me? So the I movie, am like losing <laughs> The How movie starts with what, what seems to be some sort of terrible event in a television studio that involves a chimpanzee. Yes. We don't know exactly what it is that's happened, but we can see, I believe that we can see at the beginning that there is a sneaker balanced on its heel you know, in the middle of the floor. Which makes no sense on one level. Unless no you look at it as a symbolic image, which I, I think we've come to the conclusion that it is a symbolic image. Yeah. But let's, yes, and thank you for backing me up, because the movie starts with such a bang that it was giving me natural born killer killers vibes from the very beginning. And, and natural born killers also uses the sitcom as sort of a framework to look at the horrific. Right. right. And, and so he's sure. using the sitcom. Sexual and abuse in the home. The applause sign that mindlessly goes on and, and all this kind of thing. But yes, you're hearing the, the vestiges of a rampage. We don't know what happened. We know something bad happened. There's a blood-covered chimp sitting there in a birthday hat that, that, that disgustedly wipes off of its head as if to say, F this job. And then the chimp turns to look straight at the camera. Now, we as the audience have no idea what's going on, but I have to tell you that Chip's sort of dead-eyed stare toward the camera scared the crap out of me. I didn't know what it meant at the time. Now I see it, and it's and I love it when flashbacks unpack, because when it when we see that scene again, and that scene is unwrapped, and I'm going to bring it up now because they're sure. linked, when the, we see that the Chimp was actually staring at Steven Yoon's character, Jupe who is the child actor, an Asian-American child actor on the show. And my sister Lydia says she hasn't heard anybody else talk about this. I don't know if it's true. But in addition to sort of claiming this was based on a real-life incident where a chimp actually went on a rampage on a television series, which I have my doubts about that story, I'm thinking different strokes. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm thinking Webster. These were programs I grew up with. If you're two young kids, they took two black actors who were little people, right? They were not only were they adopted into these white families, but they were little people adopted into these white families visually giving the sense of being mascots or pets. I'm sorry. Visually, that's what it looked like. And it was this weird thing for a while where it was hip to have these little children of color as sort of these mascots slash pets in the TV series. And that was what I was thinking about. And when, and, and I, mm, do I say it now or later? I guess we're talking about it now. Yes. I feel like when Gordy goes on that rampage 
messes everybody up. Looks straight at the camera. He's looking at this kid. He comes to the kid. We're afraid. Oh my God, is Gordy going to kill the kid? No. Gordy waves here, this way. Follow me. He's watch it again. He's waving to the kid. Follow me. And then the fist bump. Solidarity. Why? He thought this child was a prisoner just like him. Now, the way I look at that, you know, there is the literal truth of the scene, which is that this you know, Stephen Yoon's character was a child star on a television series where a chimp went on a rampage, destroyed the series, changed his life, killed people, et cetera, et cetera, and ripped the face off one of his co-stars who pops up later on in the movie. Yes, yes. I think that as a as a work of art that is expressive of his journey i think that the chimp is jordan peele's id mm. and the kid is his ego mm. that that the chimp is the wild thing inside the creative artist that will cooperate for a while but then will absolutely turn that what he's talking about is that on his creative journey, as he has become successful, he is starting to get encouragements to do things creatively with people offering him more money than he ever dreamed of when he was younger to do things that are not him. But he also is aware that on one level for Hollywood that denied black artists for so long, he is a performing chimp. Mm. That the instant he no longer fits their bill, he will no longer get in their offices, they will know, They will stop smiling. Right now, he's Jordan Peele, capital letters. Okay. But let, let him have a couple of bombs. And suddenly, he's just another chimp. Oof. And Oof. That, that the kid, Jupe, does indeed represent those little black kids in the show. And, and he cast an Asian in that role, at least partially, to not be so on the nose. Part, yeah, there were no little Asian kids in those in those shows. That was a particular trope with white families and little black kids. Mm. Everybody knows it. So, in that sense, he becomes that image is of the artist who had a commercial success, who is attempting to repeat that success, to live in the space of that success, even beyond the point where it becomes where it it it, it is still healthy. We'll yes. go more into that as we go. Yes, and, and I know we've unpacked the uh, the Gordy Jupe sequence a little bit out of order, but I think that's appropriate because it begins there. That's the prologue of the film. And also, in many ways, it is unrelated <laughs> to the rest of the plot of this story. It has some impact on Jupe as an adult and perhaps his sort of twisted mind and some of the decisions that he makes later in the story. But you really can, and I think for a lot of viewers, it's understanding or not understanding the relationship between that scene with Jupe and Gordy and the rampage on set and the rest of the film that had them scratching their heads a little bit. So in our view, thematically, in many ways, that's the point of the story. Yeah. What happens on the, the the ranch is just sort of another version of that point that's more drawn out. But if you compress the point of the story, it's this chimp was violently extracted from his homeland, which is why when those balloons are going off, I think he's hearing gunshots. He's in, he's having PTSD. He has an emotional reaction to the sound of balloons because it reminds him of death and loss and abduction. He goes on a rampage. He tries to rescue the other prisoner. <laughs> and it is a story about how us, yes, he looked at us in the beginning. We, the audience, are expecting to see this. This is, this is what in fact, we want to see, we want to see the spectacle. So then cut to the ranch. I think if really observant viewers would have noticed a Buck and the Preacher poster in this film. And I really think if he could have cast Cindy Poitier, Jordan Peele would have for this opening moment in the film on the ranch. Now we've moved away from the arguably the best black Western ever made. Absolutely. Ar and there were so few of them. Abs yeah. In fact, as we, as I said to Reggie Hudlin in last week's podcast, without these comic books I read as a child, I wouldn't have even known there were black cowboys. And considering on, that the Smithsonian says that 25% of cowboys are black, you know how we've been excluded. Now, at the very beginning, the first sequence where we have our stars, Emerald and OJ, and the name OJ, no accidents here. They, you know, Basically, black men have been spectacles when they've done terrible things. 
You know, they, they, that right. all, the, the entire country will will focus on them when they stop when to do something terrible to watch the Bronco chase. And that so. line about, you know, from the very beginning of Hollywood, we've had skin in the game. We have always been here, but we've been excluded. Now, and, and, OJ is taciturn. He is the typical Western hero, a man of few words. He's mm-hmm. more comfortable with horses than people. His sister is a grasshopper in comparison to, to OJ's aunt, you know, working all the time. She just jumps from idea to idea. She's a performer. She's a dancer. She's an actress. She's a director. She's all these different things. And she is a flake. Yeah, she doesn't like work. OJ's always working. She's never working. OJ's always working. She's always playing. She's always smoking pot. Always. Constantly. (laughs) And the movie is really about these two people rekindling their their brother and sisterhood, their siblinghood. Yes. Finding the place inside them where they see each other. You know, they don't have to be the same. They love each other. They came from the same place. We can we can love each other. We don't have to be the same. So in many ways, it's back to the theme of get out in the sense that who can you trust? The people who are there where you came from. I, I want to back up a bit and, and talk about how this film, once we move past the, the prologue, begins with grief and loss. Because grief and loss are such a common entry into horror, I think, because for a lot of us, the loss of a loved one is the first horror we experience. So if you look at a movie like Hereditary, if you look at Midsummer, if you look at Babadook, right? These are all films where the entryway to the horror is grief. Nope, it's no different. We have the, the noble figure of Keith David on horseback and the big plane. I'm so glad I got to see it on a big screen, much like the the opening fantasy sequence in Lovecraft Country. He's basically saying, oh, you Black viewer, you've been denied of this all this time. Please enjoy this imagery that should have been your birthright from the very beginning, because we've always had skin in this game, but we've been marginalized and pushed to the side. So for a brief moment, we get to celebrate the imagery. Then it ends in quick death when a nickel or some kind of coin. Yeah, the nickel, right. A nickel flies into Keith David's eye. We don't know it's a nickel at first. We'll figure that out later. But now we're dealing with this character played by Daniel Kaluuya playing OJ, who's in grief and is even more withdrawn than he already was. And later on, we will get to the the alien manifestation. But looked at in retrospect, what you have is a situation where... Can we talk about the nature of of, of the alien? A bit because the comment isn't sure we're going a little bit out of order but let's do it how we how we feel okay so the the big secret and you'll see don't watch this or listen to this until you've seen the movie the big secret is that the alien is not a ship the alien is a creature and if that creature on one level you know you don't look it in the eye it sucks people up and so forth and so on but as a metaphor it's hollywood Yes. It is it is the search for bigger images. You know, let's do a big sweeping thing. You get more budget for that and you get a, you're paid by a percentage of the budget. So What's the, the Oprah shot? Has, has to be fantastic. But the chasing after Hollywood is what will kill you. Ooh, it'll kill you cuz you know what at best at best, you may get to play with them a while, but they will spit you out. They, they'll right. they'll spit out all those little coins. You can have some little coins, little monkey. Yeah. You can have yeah. your little coins, but in the process, you might just lose your soul. That is the whole oh, bread and butter. That is a monster that eats artists and spits out trinkets in return. A little bit of money in exchange for your soul. And look I at, think that if you look at it that way, then Jordan is looking directly at what is the passage that he is making in life and in his career? Because and, he is in a very rarefied place where the offers he's getting have to be stunning. And how treacherous can it be? I mean, you look no further than the biographies of your favorite child actors from some past sitcoms or, or films and see how so many of them had to dodge drug addiction, had to dodge sexual abuse on the set, like with the people they were working with. There are so many traps in Hollywood. And this is something Steve and I have talked about a lot, because as we are pursuing our Hollywood dreams, yes, of course, we want a TV series. Of course, we want to write movie scripts. But the minute we start relying upon it, 
is when we're in trouble. So I continue to teach at UCLA. We continue to offer online courses like Life Writing Premium, which sponsors this very podcast, because we're practicing our own version of don't look at it. Yes, yes we want it, but don't so look at it. So at the very it. beginning, the horse saw its own reflection and kicked. Right. He, he realizes that the creature comes after you if you look at it. So Stephen Yoon, in actually doing this this show where he is quite possibly feeding horses to this alien, although his audiences clearly never got a good look at it, otherwise he would have been packed. <laughs> yeah, it's so only half full. a little bit of, of cognitive dissonance there. What's going on with this you audience? Know, what, what exactly do those earlier shows look like? If he's feeding horses to this thing, then why doesn't OJ realize that his horses are disappearing? Where does he think his horses went? Right. You know, so you, there are questions there, but I I trust Jordan enough to feel that that – that we can dive into those and find them. But the, the thing that I think is most important is that question, how do you do the work in such a way as to have the chance to get the goodies but not have your soul swallowed? Exactly. And the answer is do the work. Do well, the OJ, work. How many times does OJ say, I've got work to do? That's right. Up, it, four it's or five do times. the work. Don't look at Hollywood. Look at the work. Do what's right in front of you. Do the thing to the best of your ability, honoring your father, staying, you know, honoring tradition, the things that have been for a while, trying to connect with his sister, you know, just caring about the horses, which may be the physical energy, our heart space, whatever that is. But this devouring monster that they're trying to catch on film. In order to get rich, the Oprah shot yes. will eat them if they look at it directly. In right. the same, basically, one of the things that is true about success is you can spend a lifetime in the arts creating different things. And you are expressing yourself the whole time. Then one day you create something that is a hit. And everybody tells you, just do more of that and we'll give you this dump truck of money. So if you are true to yourself in your art, you might eventually create something that will then motivate people to lure you to be untrue to your art. Yes. So it is, it's very similar to the path of spiritual discovery where there are these things called cities, S-I-D-D-H-I, that are the powers, precognition, abnormal, charisma, money, sex, that come to the person who is the dedicated seeker when they hit certain levels of power. But the trick is that if you look directly at the cities, the at these powers, you step off the path. If you step off the path to pursue the sex, pursue the money, pursue this, you are not doing the very thing that brought them to you in the first place, and you will become lost. Happens all the time in the spiritual realm. And I if think you're saying the same thing of art. And I think if you ask yourself, what does the Jupiter storyline have to do with the other storyline aside from the fact that their neighbors aside from the fact that jupe was buying up their horses and sacrificing them to the creature i think it's because jupe did stare straight at it as a child he was completely traumatized by what happened but at the same time he has this this unusual and toxic relationship with that moment where he's actually celebrating it in his little secret room his little museum room where he said a couple gave him $50,000 to sleep there. So he has monetized his trauma in every possible way. He has that poster of the fist bump, which is, by the way, an, an evil E.T. parallel universe reference. There are a lot of Spielbergian moments in this film, but this is sort of an anti-Spielberg. I believe he's moment. using Spielberg cinematographer. Oh, my goodness. Well, it comes across because the movie has such a big screen blockbuster feel. It does. I mean, it has both the horror and the sense of wonder and magic. But when we're dealing with Jupe, it's not wonder and magic. It's this very cynical monetization of his his trauma. He's stuck in that moment. Like he literally will go away in his head into that moment. And his wife brings him out. Right. Right before the performance. And this idea, see, I think he he got this idea from Gordy that that he didn't learn, though, from Gordy, because what right. Gordy was supposed to teach him was you can't tame nature and make it a part of your show. 
But that's exactly what he tries to do with this alien. He tries to make the alien part of his show. It'll be here in about an hour. You guys can't believe what you're about to see. No cell phones. Holy cow. Didn't learn his lesson. You know, he, he, it was a cautionary tale. Yes. He had this moment of glory that turned into a moment of horror and he'd been chasing it the rest of his life. You know, OJ's father was chasing the Hollywood dream. And OJ is too, to a degree, but he is focusing on, you know, take care of the horses, take care of the work. There's work to be done. Every day there's work to be done. His sister, it's, there's play. We can dream, but it is OJ who is rooting that dream. By the end, they're both being creative and they're both willing to kind of roll up their sleeves and work. And the sister is actually the one who sees the potential when she's talking about the Oprah shot. She... Because he keeps his head down, he doesn't see the potential. She sees the potential, but doesn't keep her head down. So they're a right. good pair. They are a good pair. They make up for what the other is lacking. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Jupe and the, the Gordy storyline, because I think that is so much of the thematic underpinning of the story. And the rest of the film, which I think is slightly different than Us, is very straightforward. I mean, Us is straightforward, but there are certain moments where you really could pull yourself out of the film and say, wait, why did that just happen? Or wait, what just happened there? Whereas in in Nope, it's more like, sure, you could ask yourself, why is the shoe standing up? Or all these kinds of questions or what's the relationship between the prologue and the story between OJ and Emerald. But the actual story story, which is that there's that OJ sees a UFO. He tells his sister. He saw a UFO. She says, let's get it on tape. The guy at the electronics store figures out what they're up to. <laughs> you know, together they create. We've seen this. We've yeah, seen they, the team. They set up the cameras. Yeah. They, they leave bait out, you know, you know, wooden horses. They begin to have their interaction with the alien. The alien demonstrates what it really is. at Stephen Yoon's carnival. It is deadly. Yes. We find out there just how deadly it is. It will digest you while you're alive. Nice and, metaphor. And, and if you're thinking, if you if you keep your eyes on the metaphor for Hollywood, both for artists in general and for artists of color specifically, yes. then the, the surface story, which could have been, you know, strange tales of science fiction, is melded to a meditation on what happens when you succeed. It's one thing to have the dream. But what happens when the dream comes to life? It becomes something bigger than you are and will devour you if you're not careful. Right. And then and then because the creature, back to just sort of the, the elements, the story elements of the, of the movie, because the creature knocks out electronics with its presence, it creates a, a dead space with yeah. electronics. So your, your engine will go off, your batteries will go off, your lights will go off. They bring in this grizzled old cinematographer who has a camera that is non-electric. And this is the guy who sort of represents someone who has been navigating Hollywood. I mean, what he does in his spare time is he looks at footage of uh, animals in the wild eating each other. That's what, I mean, every time you look at what he's looking at, he's looking at something pretty vile and pretty violent. (laughs) That's what, that's what's in his head. And yet as a cinematographer, ironically, he's always looking for beauty, right? They they want the, the, the golden hour shot, but he gives his life to try to get the most beautiful shot. No, I already have the thing on, on I, I've taped it. I got my, my shot, but I want it to be pretty now. So I'm going to go out in the open and expose myself so I can get it with the sunset. And that is ultimately what ends up killing him is that he's seeking that, that perfect shot. But at the same time, he's the one who, who warns them that what they're looking for doesn't really exist. In fact, I, I wrote, I scribbled some notes while I was, oh, that dream you're chasing is the dream you never wake up from, is what he says. Again, going back to that cautionary aspect, very obviously talking about Hollywood and fame. What else are they talking about? So uh, Jordan Peele, as an artist, warning artists coming behind him. You, When you're chasing those dreams, you have to be very, very careful that they don't eat you. Yeah, I mean, I think that as the story goes on, and as you know, you know the everything goes wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the brother has to make his decision about 
what he's going to do. OJ makes a decision to protect his sister plausibly at the cost of his own life. Yeah. Paying for his family's sins, you know, in chasing that fame that didn't really want them, the industry that didn't want them there, even though they had skin in the game from the beginning. Possibly. Trying to uphold his father's seemingly impossible legacy and dream that he tried to build. It's like it, trying to build a, a sandcastle with sand just slipping away through your fingers. And then seeing her roll up her sleeves, use her skills as a motorcycle rider to get to the little carnival where she uses her creativity to think of a way to attract and arguably destroy the creature and to use the wishing well photo to finally get the Oprah shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, and then what we see there at the very end is the heroic image of her, of her brother, you know, as, as, as the heroic cowboy, the image that was denied. Again, mirroring, mirroring in many ways, the opening image of, of Keith David on horseback. So he has doing, in some ways become his father. By doing their work, by not looking directly at the beast, by putting their relationship, your heart space above the pursuit of money, they got the thing. Mm-hmm. Now, that is not a bad model of how art and commerce work. As long as you remember that tomorrow the fight starts over again. Right. Because if you create that thing and people love that thing, they will offer you money to kill the creativity that created it in the first place. They don't necessarily realize that's what they're doing. No. They're not trying to on purpose. No. Hollywood isn't evil. It's just an industry. Like this monster, this this alien isn't evil. It's just hungry. It's just yeah. It, it it moves a lot like a manta ray. You know, it moves a lot like you know, like like a natural, like a creature. And once again, not evil. But you you take real risks if you don't remember that it's an animal. It's not under your control. Fame is not under your control. Hollywood is not under your control. Success is not under your control. You can tap into that, but the way you tap into it is by doing your work, not chasing after the fame. You know, that is, that's where you become a hack, mm-hmm. where you keep trying to do more of what you did before until you can't remember who you used to be. And I hope you've noticed that when we invite guests who work in Hollywood, whether they're directors or screenwriters, actors we've had on the show, comedians we've had on the show, we're choosing people who have found that balance. I mean, our guests are people we consider to be potential role models for artists, not people who've blown it, right? Who who did all the wrong things and and went down the rabbit hole and, and found there was nothing but a trail of coke on the other side or whatever it was. And, and believe me, it's so easy for that to happen. It is so intoxicating to have executives lean into the cameras and say, oh my God, if you could just do this, this would be perfect for us. And you can hear the ka-ching, in the back of your mind on prince's gold album he has a song where he talks about having been to the mountaintop and seen that there's nothing there so what he's saying is keep your values it's not just that you'll lose your soul if you chase after the goodies it's that there are no real goodies except pursuing your art pursuing your life with integrity to your own emotions and your own soul. That there is nothing that anybody can offer you that is worth losing yourself for. And if you make the mistake of thinking there is, you are destroying everything you were trying to create. And this has happened to countless artists where they started out doing something for love, thought they could do it for money, and lost their sense of taste. That's somebody saying that, that Hollywood is like a pile of manure with a rose at the top of it. And you climb up this manure pile. And by the time you get to the top and you pluck the rose, you've lost your sense of smell. Oh, my gosh. And speaking of a pile of manure, and that's a great quote, one of the shots I noticed the second time around is that when Jupe invited OJ and Emerald to come to his big show, Right. Wasn't that the flyer? He was inviting them to come to the show. What were they going to do when they saw their horse? But anyway, he invites them to the show. The flyer flew away in the original scene. And the next time we see it, do you remember where it was? Nowhere. 
under a pile of horse manure. Oh, there you go. <laughs> You're asking what exactly happened at those shows. Like I said, the one thing that did not happen is a flying saucer coming out so everybody could see it. Because if so, it, 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 there would have been news trucks. and the, At and the, the very least, the show would have been more than half-packed. I mean, there yeah. were... <laughs> oh, there would have been st- it wouldn't have even been standing room only. You know, So clearly, for all practical purposes, almost nothing happened. In, in those other shows. So it's a little difficult. I can create the scenario in my head. Maybe they let the horse go. The aliens ate the horse, but out of sight of the people. Yes, there's it showed a flicker. Just enough. A flicker beyond the clouds, just enough to make you go, oh, did I see what I just saw? You know, that right. kind of thing. That would work. I would go see that show. Yeah, um, I, th- I, th- I think so. So, you know, to me, looking at that, looking at the major characters and what they represented and looking at... This that it's possible to look at it as just a science fiction movie. It's possible to look at it as a metaphor for Hollywood, or it's possible to look at it as a metaphor for black artists in Hollywood. I, Go ahead. And it also very deeply fulfills what I call the, the monkey paw method to filmmaking, which to refresh you here is films that center black characters, that it's entertaining on the surface. But if you choose to, you can unpack it and even teach a course on the, on the thing because there's so much to unpack. And third, I used to say it was the care in showing violence against Black characters. But in Nope, it was really the care in the way he shows violence against all of the characters. Because even in the most violent scenes, like, like say the Gordy scenes with the rampage, there's a lot of the camera going Black, oblique angles, behind a closed door. In some ways, it's almost scarier to see a flash of a violent act about to happen right before the door closes, right? Or or it swings back and forth. So he's not leaning into gore, as would be his right as a, as a horror director. He's not leaning into gore. He's implying a lot more violence than he's showing. And this is a very, very refined example, I would say, of the monkey paw method of filmmaking. And I, I couldn't excited i'm so glad he pulled it off and how funny is it that after everything we've said universal studios even before the movie opened had recreated the sets jupes what is the name hold on what is the name of jupiter's claim jupiter's claim they've created jupiter's claim on the universal lot as one of their permanent exhibitions and when you think about it in the context of everything we've just said, that is so freaking funny to me. Oh, my gosh. It's like, don't you understand what the movie was even saying? I mean, I don't get it. It's just, well, uh, I mean, if you look at it, there, I guess there's some, there are a couple of things that I, I don't think I want to say straight out. <laughs> but I would say that if you look at some of the images, what you were seeing was anger anger I mean, so real much anger deep anger there is there are some bits in this movie that are suggesting that jordan is a great humorist and he smiles and he's a great guy but he's very aware of the fact that he's a piece of meat in hollywood it just mm-hmm. happens to be flavor of the day mm-hmm. you know yeah. and i think that that question of who can i trust who really sees me who gives a damn about me I think that that's, that's real stuff right there. I mean, isn't that really what we all wonder about? Who sees us and isn't just interested in us for what we can do for them? Yes. And just if you could empty your mind onto a movie screen and encapsulate the kinds of thoughts that, that he has in this movie, I, I don't know that you could do much better than Nope. I think it's a great expression of its message that is enjoyable whether or not you're paying attention to the message. A 12-year-old could follow the plot, which might not have been as true with us, I would say. You know, parts of it. Well, not but... only that, but us, as far as I'm concerned, used dream logic. It mm-hmm. doesn't quite make sense mm-hmm. if you think mm-hmm. it through. Whereas, given an alien of this particular kind, um, no, it makes sense. But, yeah, and there are rings of the cinematic familiar in some ways that you don't have with us because us is so singular. And he's making intentional sort of homage to to Spielbergian films, to movies like Twister, where you assemble the team and you and you figure out you know how to beat this thing, and and countless other movies where you have yeah. the the plucky team, including the humor provided actually in Nope by Brandon Perea is his name. I want to say his Palmer. name. And Kiki Palmer was providing. Very, he's very funny. 
very, I mean, the, the cast is fantastic. It's more of an ensemble sort of adventure feel than either either of his other films, which gives it kind of that blockbustery feeling. And I think after all of our conversations, Steve, and all the things that we kind of figured out, like, okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? The one thing that I didn't get was the shoe standing up. Yeah, what did Brian, you know, so our, our friend, friend Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller has a great theory. He thinks that that's a callback to a classic Twilight Zone episode. Do you remember the name of the episode? No, I don't. It's a classic Twilight Zone episode where a coin stands up, right? Coin stands on its edge. Right, which is interesting when you when you notice how many coins are spit out. So basically, this alien eats people. We see some of their journeys are being eaten, which I thought was amazing and something we don't see enough of. And then he spits them out. He's basically using the ranch as a litter box. <laughs> okay, but I, but I digress. That shoe standing up, I didn't get it. And Brian said, that's a callback to a Twilight Zone episode. And it represents sort of the cognitive dissonance that this child was experiencing from that moment. Now, we've talked about how he was kind of frozen in that moment in a very unhealthy way. That shoe is the visual representation of how his life froze in that instant. It's a good theory. I don't know. You know what it's else a perfectly say. good theory. You know, and I think that it allows me I can make sense of all of it. I don't know whether or not we've nailed, you know, what Jordan intended. I hope to have that conversation with him. I bet um, we will one day. I think that we will. But what I can say is that this is a remarkable artist. It is. He's having he a remarkable is. run, and I couldn't be more proud of him. I proud is the word that comes to me so often. So grateful for the experience to be like a ten year old child again, watching this the the images unfold so many images that I've loved everything from joy and wonder and magic of like, say of any or close encounters to the horror of say of natural born killers to our jaws, even just so much. There's so much to love about it. And also what's great for this podcast is because this podcast is all about the art life balance. The message of Nope is exactly what we're about and what we're about in our life writing premium program you know when which we is, say do a, a sentence a day see that's what you can control that yes. no matter what is happening in life you can control that much and that opens the doorway to the other things that you need to do that you can't control how many copies of something is going to get sold you can't even control who's going to buy it but what you can do is do the work do the work you, like you oj can says do your part of it. you can get better and better at what you're doing more honest more consistent and if you're doing those things appropriately, and we have taken, you know, our combined close to a century of writing and studying writing, as well as consulting with thousands of years of other people's experience, to create a program where you simply do just a couple things every week. You do one, you commit to one sentence a day and to watching one video a week. And our, it is our belief that if you will start that way, you will go as deep as you need to go with the resources that we've provided. And if you'll just go to www.lifewritingpremium.com, you'll see that what we're doing there is trying to help you be the best artist you can be, but stay safe emotionally and creatively. Exactly. That balance. You are the hero or heroine because you are undertaking the steps to that happy ending <laughs> that's often you're trying to create for your characters. It's weekly reinforcement and writing practices that will help you thrive and make your writing dreams come true, help you learn the business. And no matter what level you are as a writer, maybe you've published, maybe you've come close to publishing, maybe you've even been produced, but it is hard to keep up the momentum. Sometimes we forget the lessons that we already know. So that weekly reinforcement where you do it at your own pace and also at a very affordable price, it's a subscription service. So you pay monthly. It's only $29 a month. You can stop taking the course at any time, but hopefully, of course, we hope you'll finish the whole year. But like Steve said, check it out at www.lifewritingpremium.com. So we'd like to thank you for being here. And we would like to thank Mr. Jordan Peel for thank another, you, Jordan. You know, for hours of real pleasure from a man who is really sharing something deep inside himself. I love, I love that kind of artist. Thank you for the gift of your work to me as a viewer. And really, historically, historically, thank you for your gift as a creator, a director, and a storyteller that is really forcing Hollywood to relearn what they think they know about what we are capable of and what our stories are capable of. So thank you so much for that. Thank you.
Thank you, Jordan. So everybody go on. I hope you've been inspired by this. If you, if you've only seen Nope once, then definitely go out and watch it a second time. See if you agree or disagree. Leave us a voicemail on our speak pipe if you want to be played on the show and go on, write your sentence a day and make yourselves the hero or the heroine of your own story. In the adventure of your lifetime. Take bye care. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.